This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Chiesi. Providing innovative neonatology solutions for more than 35 years, Chiesi is committed to supporting the neonatology community and the NICU families you serve. To learn more, visit www.nicuconnections.com slash incubator. This is The Incubator, a weekly discussion about new advances in neonatology and the fascinating individuals who make this progress possible. I am Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova-Barbeau. We are neonatal intensive care physicians. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We are joined by Dr. Leif Nealon and Dr. Karna Muthi. Uh, Karna, Leif, thank you so much for being on with us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this is fun. So um, we're talking to you both about um, the focus on BPD at the CHNC Symposium here in Denver, Colorado. So can you tell us a little bit about how much time has been allocated to the discussion um, on BPD here? We had a uh, pre-meeting called the BPD Colloquium, which was a, um, uh, a collaboration between CHNC and BPD Collaborative, and I think that went really well. Um, we started yesterday about noon, and we ended today just now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, we realized that there's lots of questions in BPD. Um, there's lots of things that we need to learn. We had a lot of great speakers who sort of helped us frame those questions and frame some of the things that we're all thinking about. Can you give us can you give us one or two of these questions that you guys addressed? Sure. Today there was a really interesting session about communicating with parents difficult decisions. And so severe BPD is a uh, is um fraught with difficult decisions for parents and for caregivers. And uh, we've had some really nice discussion from a psychologist, from a palliative care physician, um, trying to help us understand what the questions are really. And, and sort of how to frame those questions and how to communicate those questions with the parents. Mm-hmm. Karna, what are some of the questions that you uh, that uh, you're 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 recalling as we're grabbing you fresh off the, the floor? No, no, it's I guess they're spinning around in my brain. There's many. I think um, what I really learned was how um, there's so much innovation around how to care for these children around the country mm-hmm. um, from the institutions that are participating in. Uh, both the collaborative and CHNC, uh, we learned last night um, from like seven speakers who just really reframed new ideas of things that they're trying to improve the you know inpatient and outpatient health and outcomes for for children. Uh, I, I'd learned I had great new ideas that never really crossed my mind from these presentations. Um, some of them quite invasive with surgery. Some of them um, about counseling. Just ideas that really I think round out how we think about uh, how to optimize outcomes for these kids. I think, if I can just add to that, I think one of the things that we learned in that session last night, so it was a series of seven short discussions uh, about what people do in their center. And I think what we learned is that we all have the same problems in all of our centers. Right. And yet people have, have um, come up with some very interesting, um, and in some cases, a little bit scary solutions to those problems and yet show really good outcomes. So I think... Um, one of the things that we learned that I take away from this is how to how to incorporate that into sort of 
what we do across the country, what we do at all of our centers, and try to get a better idea for what what some of those things we should incorporate and what some what what are some of those things that we probably should wait a little bit on and, and see how they work out. I'm going to sound like a broken record. Can you give us an example of some of those solutions? <laughs> well, you know, you know, Leif and I were actually talking about this last night of this this concept of how to make sure these innovative ideas are effective for these babies, right? Um, and there are multiple strategies. Of course, they typically start with, you know, one small group having this innovative idea. But then how does that come to either dissemination or um, really testing its effectiveness yeah. through um, clinical research? Uh, you know, we, we keep talking about how we can't study these very hard questions. You were talking about this last night. And um, we really have to get past that ability to say we can't learn. We, we really have an obligation to our patients to learn which one of these innovative ideas is either um, effective and safe for, for, for kids. So <laughs> just reinforced our ability and need to answer questions. Now, you both are experts in BPD, so you're very much uh, aware of what's new and exciting. But tell us, for people who couldn't be there, what are some of these innovative solutions for the care of BPD babies? Um, I can start. Is that all right? I mean, there was one, you know, these babies that, at least in my center, there's a lot of kids who end up on a uh, tremendous number and dose of medications that are nurse sedatives. And one center from... Uh, Kathleen Hannon from uh, Denver here presented an idea of how to really reduce tolerance and, um, I guess, iatrogenic addiction to these medications uh, through um, a propofol fusion. And so I, I can't share, I don't have like her data on the tip of my tongue, but it was really a provocative, um, innovative idea that they tried on three patients now course, there's much more safety and efficacy that needs to be uh, demonstrated. But the idea is really, I don't know, to me, it was brand new. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I agree. One of the ones that I thought was really interesting was um, the group from Indiana, Becky Rose, presented some data on actually thinking about starting BPD-like settings early after four weeks of being on invasive genital ventilation for kids or less than 32 weeks. And I thought that they may show some really nice outcomes in terms of decreasing the number of patients with tracheostomy and decreasing the number of patients still on mechanical ventilation at 36 weeks PD. And I thought that was very interesting. And I think it's something that we'd like to think about at our centers is how do we get down to earlier, earlier stational ages, earlier times to try to improve long-term outcomes. Of course, the problem with that is that BPD is not really diagnosed until 36 weeks PMA. And so not all the patients we're talking about will go on to have BPD, but if we can improve the outcomes in those patients that do go on to have BPD, I think that's really my question to you relates to the collaboration between the BPD collaborative and the CHNC. I think uh, and medic. that's exactly right. <laughs> um, what are what are some of the aspects of that uh, partnership, and what are you guys learning from one another? Yeah, I think our visions and missions are are, are similar. They're not, they're not maybe identical. CHNC, as you know, has really been focused on the care and outcomes of all children in level four regional NICUs. Mm -hmm. Obviously the children with BPD are a subset, of, a subset of that and a growing large subset of that, I would say in our units. Um, from, from my perspective, the alignment on um, improving care and outcomes is I think fundamentally identical. Um, our, our collaboration, I think our organization started, you know, more or less a decade ago, uh, 
and we came up through different circles and I'll leave, leave talk about how the collaborative did, but we were obviously very neonatology focused, slight difference from the collaborative. And, uh, you know, now I just think we want to avoid, uh, duplication where, when that's not necessary and, uh, understand that we're really all here to do the kind of the same thing, which probably starts in the hospital. It maybe even starts before the babies are born and probably continues well into adulthood. I was just going to say that the, the CHNC and the, the collaborative are very similar. There's about CHNC, I think, has 46 institutions, and we have 41, or about 17 to 20 of them are in both. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of crosstalk, if you will. Um, the BPD collaborative, unlike the CHNC, is completely focused on BPD. And to be in the BPD collaborative, you really need to have a, a pulmonologist and a neonatologist as part of the um, application process. And so it really is sort of focused on both the NICU stay and the long-term pediatric course for these patients. So that's one of the differences between the two groups. And we all want to improve both the severe BPD focus group from CHNC and the BPD collaborative. What we really want to do is improve the care for patients once they have BPD. And so that's something that's largely been ignored in neonatology for the last couple of decades. People have been concentrating appropriately on trying to prevent BPD. And so we really haven't thought a lot about how to make outcomes better for kids once they get established BPD. But we're starting to make some inroads. There's been some tremendous improvements made in mortality rates, for example, and survival of these patients. So I think the continuing collaboration between CHNC and the BPD collaborative can really help us to understand what BPD is, how it starts in the NICU, and then where it goes later after patients leave the NICU. Mm-hmm. Because it's turning out more and more data showing that it's kind of a lifelong disease. Even though patients tend to get better with BPD as they get older, they still have lung disease. They still have pulmonary function changes. And so we really need to understand the sort of life course of BPD. And I think the two organizations together are uniquely situated to really be able to identify that and to really improve that long-term outcome. What do you guys think about the increased complexity of the care of patients with BPD specifically? I think that um, looking at the evolution of BPD over time, we have learned much more about the disease itself, both from a pathologic standpoint and from uh, from a histopathologic standpoint and from a clinical standpoint. But we've also understood the ramification of the, this pathology on other organ systems, whether it is the heart, the vasculature, and so on. And so what are what is that enhanced understanding of the disease now lead in terms of ch- presenting its own set of challenges? For me, I think it, it comes, sort of comes back to the earlier point. There is an increased complexity understanding, as you say very, very well. It introduces so quickly new ideas for therapies, interventions, diagnostic tests that, in, in my opinion, fundamentally remain understudied and under-investigated. So um, the complexity is not only in what we understand the disease can do um, or, or cannot do, but it's also in how we um, have more uncertainty about what we can offer families and patients that we can tell them as a factor. But I see it as just, um, just, just fraught with more opportunities to learn about the disease, to improve our clinical care. But in the meantime, we have to be both cautious and innovative at the same time to uh, make sure we're offering safe and effective therapies for our patients. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And I think, you know, I'm, a, I'm an old man, and I've seen a lot in my uh, career 
But one of the things that I was meeting for earlier is that we've made big strides in mortality rates. And so now we have complex patients who are surviving, which I think is a good first step. But now we really need to work on how to make that that survival be an optimal outcome. And I think that's what Cardinal was getting at, is we really need to work on, on how to take care of these patients more effectively, how to deal with the multi-system disease, the, maybe the hypoxemic episodes or whatever those causes. But we need to do that by by studying these patient population. And so in the past, we've studied preterm infants and tried to prevent BPD. Now we really study patients with BPD to figure out how to take care of this complexity that, that arises. Is, it, is some of it iatrogenic? Is some of it related to the disease in some way? Is some of it just something that goes along with being on preterm and having a chronic disease? So those are all answers. Those are all questions that we need to answer through more research, um, getting more data. And that's why I think CHNC and the APD Collaborative starting with registries is a really nice place to do that, to do some of these observation trials and associations to figure out where, where the questions are and we can address with um, other study designs like randomized control trials. I think the lineup of the lectures in the colloquium show just how complex the care of babies with BPD really is. You know, I feel like we used to think BPD was this like isolated diagnosis, but obviously we're learning that BPD has this interplay with multiple organ systems. Tell us how this is changing the trajectory of study in this area. We're starting to see more, for example, we're starting to see more left heart dysfunction in BPD patients. And we didn't you either didn't look for it or we didn't see it before or they didn't survive long enough to have it. And so that's one of the things that we're having to tap our cardiology um, colleagues for and help with that. So it's not pulmonary hypertension per se, it's it's left ventricular dysfunction. And that's something that we don't deal with a whole lot in the talk to you usually. And so that's one of the things that one of those, an example of one of those things where complexity has led to new new diagnosis or new comorbidities. <laughs> Yeah, more, more questions, questions than more answers. You know, when I was growing up, there was a lot of kids with BPD with hypertension, but it just took me and the literature a long time to figure out that that's probably secondary to kidney disease, right? And it's just in the same realm we're understanding that there's, you know, kidney effects from children in children with bronchopulmonary dysplasia that, that might not just be drug effect or uh, it could be something more systemic. Biology is something that people are working out. That's very similar to the left heart concept that late just presented. So I think, again, more questions are, are out there. Leif Karna, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you. This was fun. Thank you for listening to The Incubator. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of The Incubator and new shows from The Incubator Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nikupodcast at gmail.com, or by visiting our website, www.the-incubator.org. You can also message the show on Instagram or X, formerly known as Twitter, at NICU Podcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.